Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Well, many to pray for, as we should do, and always encourage one another to do. But also, let's not forget uh, the opportunity to minister to these folks if you can. Uh, just don't leave it at prayer. Maybe they have some kind of a need. And this is, of course, what we're supposed to do as brothers and sisters. We love one another to help one another through these times. Just thinking about that song, you know, the Lord puts thoughts in your head. There are some people who could not sing that song. It said we shout with the millions on high. Those who believe there's only going to be 144,000 there. Right? They can't sing that one. Just a, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. All right, let's look at Luke 17. We're going to talk about the kingdom, and thank you, Don, for the songs. And just trying to grasp the nature of this kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, sometimes I think we really don't grasp what he's talking about. Uh, and we're going to try to present this today from actually Luke 4 to understand that this is a spiritual-based, spiritually-minded, spiritually-concerned kingdom. That it isn't really about this life, the things in this life at all. Those are, are secondary. And we really have to keep our minds focused on that. And the Satan tries to pull us away from that and get us focused on other things. And I think this is why the, the, the church lags and fails even today. Uh, and member, memberships dropping and congregations are closing because we aren't focused on the right things. Luke 17, 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And we know that the Israelites were looking for the return of a kingdom of David type thing, which there would be a king and Israel would be a great uh, economic and military power on the earth again. And uh, this was what they were kind of looking for. And uh, Jesus is saying, no, that is not it at all. He says that the kingdom of God is in your midst. One translation says among you. Uh, and he's trying to speak here of the otherworldly nature of the kingdom. Uh, when Jesus stood before Pilate, what did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. And that's something we have to believe and understand. It isn't about this world. It's about men and women serving the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts, bowing to him as Lord and Savior and King of Kings and giving him their lives. That's what the kingdom of heaven is about, the rule of God in people's hearts. And it is, as we're going to see a little bit here as we looked in Luke 4, 
about that warfare between good and evil, about bringing people out from under the, uh, the, uh, the captivity, the, the influence of evil, of the devil. It's a fight between God and his Christ and Satan and his minions. Trying to bring folks away from serving Satan to serving God. And when you've done that, people are now in the kingdom. And it's this kingdom that is talked about in Daniel, I believe it's Daniel chapter 7, that will live forever, that will go on forever. That group of people. All right, let's go to Luke 4. And this is uh, where Jesus has gone back to Nazareth, the very beginning, early part of his ministry. And he reads this prophecy, which is from Isaiah 61, the first three verses, and you can read that there. I'm not going to go there to read it. Luke 4:16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was clearly a messianic scripture, uh, some might indeed say this was a definitive messianic scripture uh, defining the role, the purpose, and the mission of the Messiah, what he was to do. And as Jesus, you know, is saying this, and when he says it's been fulfilled in your hearing, he is really saying, I am the Messiah. And this is what I have come to do. And when we look at his life in the Gospels, we're going to see that that is exactly what he did when you read that. The Holy Spirit was often associated with anointing. And it says here, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember Jesus' baptism? Where the Spirit of God came down. The heavens were open and God spoke. This is my beloved son. He anointed me. Uh, in the Old Testament, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed. Uh, and when someone was anointed by God, it really indicates they were chosen by God, especially for uh, maybe a particular mission, but oftentimes just for a role to fulfill. Uh, if you were a king, there were certain things you had to do. Uh, so if you were anointed, you had responsibilities to keep. Authority was given to you to accomplish that work. You were empowered by God to do it, but you also had 
there was accountability. That you would be called to task if you did not do what you were supposed to do. So Jesus is saying here, I am the Messiah. You know, he anointed me. He's saying, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. He anointed me. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And he's accepting the work that's laid out in the word. He's been anointed for a purpose. He's being sent for a purpose, as it says, to accomplish the will of God. And so we want to look into this and see what exactly is it that the Messiah was to do. What was he to do? Keeping in mind, it's about the kingdom of God. The first thing we want to look at there, he sent me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To preach the gospel to the poor. Everybody knows gospel means good news or glad tidings or something along that line. Something we want to hear. Something that will uh, bring, us, bring us joy. Something that, that is really good. And Jesus did that. As we said, we already quoted, he said, repent, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a good thing. The rule of God has come. You know, up to this point, all of the world lay under the power of the evil one. Remember when Jesus was being tempted of the devil in the wilderness? And at one point he says, Okay, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, right? Remember that? He says, these are mine. And he wasn't lying. These are mine. He says, I'll give them to you if you worship me. I think that's what, that was what he said at that point. Jesus said, no. You see, this, this, is, the, this is the point we're making. Now, the kingdom of God has come. Now, there's opportunity for people to move from under the influence and power of Satan into the kingdom of Christ and of his God to serve them and not serve the evil one. Jesus came saying, repent and believe in the gospel. He said, believe in me. He said, salvation has come. Remember he said to Zacchaeus, salvation today, salvation has come to this house. He said, I am is among you and other things. So he came proclaiming the good news that, that God is here and there is, there is hope and there is help and there is a kingdom that you can serve in. Who are the poor? Who are the poor? Well, we know the common people flock to him. And we read in different places he hung out with the uh, tax collectors and sinners. Some interpret that as being uh, the prostitutes, and it may well have been those who uh, walk the streets, ladies who walk the streets. Uh, I think more generally the thought was that they were just Jews who didn't keep the law at all. They didn't bother to keep it. And they were identified by Pharisees in particular as being sinners. Because they didn't try to keep the law. They didn't do any of the ceremonial stuff. They didn't offer sacrifices. They were sinners. And they were pointed out as being sinners. But Jesus hung out with them and he ate with them. And of course he was accused of being a, a glutton and a drunkard because he did that. But the question we need to ask, you know, sometimes we just say, oh, that, that's poor people. But the question we need to ask was, was the gospel only for the destitute? And as I was thinking about this, you know, the tax collectors 
were some of the richest people in the land, weren't they? They got rich robbing people blind by charging excess taxes and keeping what Rome didn't want. So who are the poor? Obviously the poor would be, you know, the poor in, with wealth would be in the group, but is this really what it's being talked about? In Isaiah 61 and 1, that word poor is rendered in some translation as the afflicted. And the footnote in this translation here renders the word the humble. Humble people. God's word renders it humble people. Let's look in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. Those are humble people. Those, are, those who know they, they have a need, a spiritual need. They're not proud. They're not filled with themselves. They're not self-righteous. When they hear that good news that God has come, they are the ones who want that news. They are the ones who will respond to it. Poor in spirit. In Matthew 18, we could go to other places. This, these were uh, rather handy, I guess, in Matthew. Matthew 18, 2, he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted, become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So I submit to you that the poor here were not necessarily the destitute and those who didn't have enough to eat, but those who were poor in spirit. They realized their failures, their failings, that they did not have what it takes to serve the Lord, to measure up. And when they hear this good news of the grace of God that you can be forgiven and you can be called righteous in the eyes of God and you can have this hope for life eternal, these are the ones who respond to the gospel. Not the ones who think they're okay. Not the think, ones who think they're righteous and they have no need of God. They have no need to repent. These won't respond. Whether they have no money or whether they have millions of dollars, they won't respond. But it's the poor in spirit who respond to the good news. Let's look at the next thought here, and I think we can better see this. You know, we're, we're so used to seeing that, that meant poor people. To proclaim release to the captives. To proclaim release to the captives. Did Jesus go about freeing people from jails and prisons? Is that what he did? Did he call for that? Did he stand on Pilate's doorstep and say, you need to release all these people from prison? He didn't do that, did he? That wasn't his mission. 
So what's he talking about? Who are these captives? Let's go to 2 Timothy 2. Who are those who are captive? Kingdom of God is not from here. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This is the mission of Christ. To free them from serving Satan, from being captive to Satan. The power of the devil, the power of sin, the power of fear, the power of guilt, the power of death, and all these things. This was part of the good news that you can be free from these in Christ Jesus. Free from them all, every last one of them. You don't have to fear man. You don't have to fear the devil. You don't have to fear death. You don't need to be afraid of God, not if you're in Christ. Yeah, you have to reverence God, but God is not out to get you. God is out to save you. These are the captives that the Messiah came and was commissioned particularly to free. Jesus said, you know, another play, the familiar verse, come to me all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Paul wrote in Galatians, for freedom as Christ set us free. These are the captives. And this again emphasizes the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. You know any folks who are captive by any of these things today? Any of these fears, any of the power of the devil, any of these addictions? See, that's Satan. And Jesus said, I've come to free you from that. You give them the good word about that, you can be free. You can be free in Christ. Okay, let's look at the next, next phrase. Recovery of sight to, to the blind. And certainly Jesus, you know, he went about healing, uh, giving the blind their sight. Some recovered their sight and some had never seen and he gave them sight. Some who couldn't, who were deaf, were, were able to hear and the lame walked and we know he did all those wonderful and marvelous healings for people and we're thankful for that. And we even look to him today as we pray that he might keep us well and heal folks who are sick. But how many times do we read in the Gospels of those who were walking in darkness? He called the Pharisees were blind leading the blind. People who had eyes but couldn't see. Who are these who need to see? Is it really just those who can't see with their eyes? Or is this simply a parallel, an analogy to show us the real blindness in people 
and how they really need to see. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians 4, starting with 3. I love this passage here. It's just, it's good. It, it's uplifting. It, it, it focuses us on, again, what is this about? What are we doing? And even if our gospel, there's the good news, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, All right, those who are dying, those who haven't accepted it, those who don't believe. It's veiled to them. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. There is Satan again. We had the message last week about the parable of the sower, and Satan comes and takes the seed out of their heart so it won't grow. Well, here we have the, the picture presented. They have, he has blinded people so they cannot see the gospel and see the truth and obey it. Blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Does that make you mad? That should stir you up against the evil one. That should stir you up the love in your heart for those whom you know in your family, those you work with, those who share a property line with you, that you would want to help them to see the truth, to have that veil removed so they could see Christ Jesus in the gospel, that they are blinded by the evil one. Our indignation not to rile. I don't think the church today has enough indignation. We're not upset enough about what Satan's doing to people. But let's read on. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There is the light has come on in their heart, the hearts of the believers, those who see the truth and accept. We see it. We know that this is wonderful. This is marvelous. We understand now the difference between evil and good, between the truth and the lie. What a marvelous passage of Scripture. This has got to be the blindness that the Messiah was sent to correct so that people could see. A world following false gods, bowing down to idols, and at that time even men, Caesar, was seen to be a god, and many Christians lost their lives because they would not say Caesar is Lord. Trying to earn approval from God by keeping commandments, deceived by Satan, lying, all the false religions and whatever else you want to throw in there that the devil has blinded people to. They cannot see. They will not see. Our last thought, or the last thought presented in that scripture. To set free those who are oppressed. There's a lot of oppression in those days. And 
under the rule of Rome. Nations were oppressed. There was slavery was rampant. And uh, I think I've mentioned this before. There was at one point, there were more slaves in the Roman Empire than there were free people. Slavery was everywhere. And by and large, slaves were oppressed. They were just property. You could pretty much do whatever you wanted to with a slave, even up to killing them if they misbehaved. Uh, so, you know, that, that was the background. Now, did Jesus go about preaching, you should free your slaves? Did he go about preaching uh, to the rich landowners, you need to pay fair wages to uh, those who work for you? Did he go about telling wives to leave their overbearing husbands? No. Who are the oppressed? Or what was the situation? 1 Peter 2. And th this is one that we need to hear, but it's probably the most difficult of all. The most difficult of all. 1 Peter 2.18, he's talking about slaves. But notice what he says to the slave. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Footnote says perverse. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. You know, we want to run and get relief, don't we, in this country. We want justice. What's God say? Well, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So what we see here, those who are oppressed find that when they're serving God and they accept this unjust treatment, God sees it. God acknowledges it, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant, for bearing up under this harsh treatment when you don't deserve it. That's freeing. But God sees, and God blesses a person in that situation. They couldn't get out of it. That's freedom for the oppressed. That my life is not wasted here. That somebody sees what I'm going through and they appreciate that I am not trying to seek my own revenge on whoever is oppressing me. Next chapter, 1 Peter 3.13. And there's, there's a little thing in here that we all, I've, all, I've missed, and I think most of us have missed, 
in this reading is familiar. Verse 15 is very familiar to us. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Okay, generally speaking, you do what's good and right. Everything's all right. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, here I think he's speaking in general, not necessarily of slaves. And we know that Christians back then, they suffered for, for doing right. They were not appreciated. They were seen as even being treasonous because they did not worship Caesar and other things. But look at the next phrase. You are blessed. I've missed that. You are blessed. In suffering for the sake of righteousness. Paul wrote, I believe it was in the Philippian letter, he wanted to know Christ and the power of his sufferings. Remember that? It's a very strange idea, but we know that Christ suffered a lot, not just on the cross. He was rejected. He was made fun of. People at different times wanted to stone him. They didn't want to hear his message. He suffered. Let's finish this out. You are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Even if this is happening to you. You see, this really brings up the spiritual nature of the kingdom. And it isn't about staying here, getting all we can, and living a life where we're 80, 90, or 100 years old. It's about serving the Lord God, trusting him, and whatever he wants to do with me, that's fine with me. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to let them intimidate me. And if I lose my life for Christ, then praise the Lord. And many Christians did early on. But sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone or everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Be ready. Somebody's going to say, why are you taking this? Why, why don't you do this? Why don't you? I serve the Lord Jesus. This is what he said, told me to do. I'm not afraid. I, I serve a different king, and I am in a different kingdom. This world is not my home. We, have it. we struggle with that. I struggle with that. We really need to get this message of the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. That we are on a journey. Go back to Luke 4 to finish it out. Verse 19, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That was the last he read there from Isaiah 61. What this recalls, most scholars believe, and I agree with them, is the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Every 50 years, there was a year of Jubilee. It was like a giant reset. If you were, had become an indentured servant or a slave to somebody else because of debts, you were free. All debts were canceled. 
if you had to get rid of property, and in those days, you know, uh, property belonged to families or clans, all right? You couldn't give your property to another tribe in Israel. And uh, if you happen to have to give your property to another family because, again, of debt, then in the year of Jubilee, guess what? You got it back. It was a giant reset. You just kind of started again. Everything started over. Here we go again every 50 years. And that's what this kind of reminds you of here. Preaching the gospel to the poor in spirit, the release to the captives, sight to the blind, free the oppressed. It's a favorable year of the Lord. This is all good. This is good news. Through God, there is freedom. And you can be called children of God and have that inheritance. That was the message of the Messiah. And that's the message he taught. And that's the message we really need to see in the New Testament. The kingdom of God is here. It's here now. And if you're not in it, you can be a part of it this morning before you leave the building. The kingdom of God is all about its king, Christ Jesus. And you're giving your life to him. If you haven't done that, you need to seriously consider it and make that choice to serve him. If you are a Christian and you're really caught up in the world, you're thinking it's all about the world and stuff and getting ahead and yeah, I know we have to make a living and it does matter what we do here but that's not the main point. We need as so many have said keep the main point the main point. What is it about? It's about serving the Lord with whatever he's given us and proclaiming this same gospel like we said, do you know someone poor in spirit? A humble person? They've never heard the gospel. You know, those folks just might really want to respond to it. Some are held captive by the devil. You know, caught up in their gambling or whatever it is, and their alcohol. They can be free. That's the message. They blind. They see life as being about stuff and fun and what have you. Shine the light. Shine the light. The oppressed, those who are really struggling, let them know that if Christ is their Lord, he sees. He appreciates it. If you're suffering for him, that goes a long way with the Lord. He says, I'll take care of you. You need to respond this morning. We're here. As always, we're available at other times, anytime. Mike or Mike, Don, Rick. Please take this message to heart about the kingdom of heaven, about the message of the Messiah. He anointed, he was anointed to bring this message to us. Brother Don.